You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Hey, this is Rick Moffat, former voice of the Montreal Alouettes, and you're listening to the Flight Deck. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. And welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am your host, Tim Capper, along with Cliffy D. Hey, how are you, buddy? Hey, now. A different show. As I said, we wanted to try to be able to just bring you guys shows, talking to players, coaches, executives, you know, even if there really isn't any news that is going on right now or we're waiting for news from the CFL. Um, yeah, or but, waiting, or waiting for a home opener that was supposed to be happening this week, and yeah. unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, that's 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 true. <sighs> there were so many uh, plans that I had. I had people coming up to watch the game. Ah, oh, it's so frustrating. But it's also too just maintaining that streak of you know the that first home game mm-hmm. to be able to say that yes, I've been at this. Ho- I was at the, the the home opener for the you know tenth, fifteenth, twentieth, twenty fifth time. You know, like regardless of how how long you've been a, a season ticket holder or just a fan of this franchise, to be able to say that you've been at that first game, just that that that, that reminder of why you love football so much, and to not have that this year is extremely bittersweet. Oh yeah, it is, of course, of course. But you know, and and I and I will admit, the as we mentioned in the last episode, you know, the CFL sim is still not not helping. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, as I said, it's a different type of show this week. Um, we were lucky enough to speak with um, uh, with Luc Rodejardin, um, also known as LBJ. Uh, we talked a whole gamut of stuff. Uh, it was just one of those interviews where it it just continued, which we we're happy about. Um, and it, we talked about almost anything that we could think of. And we are obviously uh, very, uh, you know, we are. Uh, it's a pleasure for us to bring it to you, right, Cliff? absolutely like we just it basically just flip on the microphone and it's like okay luke let's talk about this and mm-hmm. we talked and it was great uh, I, I think you you folks are going to learn a lot about lbj not just the football player and coach but also the man himself so yeah. i mean it's yeah. it's absolutely fascinating stuff and uh, it was just an absolute pleasure to be able to sit and talk with him for a good little while yeah so without further ado, and Willie, we'll we'll come back to you here after after the after the interview itself. So without further ado, LBJ. Well, on the line with us this week is a gentleman who is very well known uh, in not only in the in Montreal in the CFL, but also obviously in the province of Quebec. And we want to talk to him about a little bit about his career, about what's going on currently in the world, and and hopefully what's going to be a part of the 2020 season. On the line with us now, you know him as LBJ. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing very well. It's the easiest way to pronounce my name, right? It's very easier than uh, Brother Jordan. LBJ is. <laughs> well, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I could have given I could have given it a shot. Obviously, I mean, it's I, I'm I'm a, I'm a you know I'm an Anglophone. I would have said Loup Rode <laughs> Jardin. Hopefully, that there was, you go. Yeah. There you go. So, See, Tim, you gotta have confidence. Yes. <laughs> All oh, right. You, you know. You know, as a French Canadian, that's that's funny. When I stepped in in the CFL, when I came into uh, the Canadian Football League, I was drafted by Montreal, and I was very happy about it. And I showed up for my first training camp. And back then, my English is not 
what it is right now. Right. I mean, I improved, I, I, I evolved. And, and um, I remember my first training camp, and I was just trying to go through, uh, you know, last names. I, I like not even like first name. I thought I was good with like most of my teammates. I mm-hmm. could pronounce their first name, yeah. but some guys like, uh, I, I would struggle with their last name. And, and, and when I was trying to, uh, <laughs> to, to say they're not their last name, especially the rookie camp, right. uh, there was like, they, they were trying the, the pronunciation of their last name. And I was like, yeah, I'm struggling. Uh, no, I can't, I can't say it. Like, just think about JP Bekasiak. I, and it's one Pavel Bekasiak, and I couldn't say it. And even right now, I'm trying it, and I'm sure it's not properly said. So I was like, "Hey, guys, don't, don't, don't bother about mine. LBJ is going to be fine." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and now, I'm the now, original now, LBJ. I'm older than LeBron James, so that's good. For me. <laughs> there you go. Hey, listen. When I hear LBJ, it's you. I think of first, then LeBron. So how about that? <laughs> and uh, I think it was uh, hold on, it was White. Uh, I, I I can't remember his uh, his first name. Uh, one of our DB was says, "Hey man, you're always going to be my favorite LBJ because he he couldn't stand LeBron James." <laughs> <laughs> what, what was um? What was it? It was it the you're saying it was more or less last names. Was it because of because obviously you know uh, I grew up par- partially in the United States. And I grew up here. And then I'll give you an example. You know, I went to high school with a, a girl. Her last name was Bellinger. It's B-E-L-A-N-G-E-R. You come up to Quebec. Yeah, Bellinger. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It was, what was the one last name because of your French upbringing that really you were never able to, did you think that you could ever get it correct? Any one name that you can remember? Oh, Wow. Oh, one last name. Uh, well, most of the Americans, um, most of the Americans, I, I, I got them good. I yeah. got them right. Yeah. Um, Inseki, Inseki. Yeah. I, I, I remember Inseki, but sometimes it was just more, much more about the way uh, they spoke, where they're coming from. Because I can remember like wrecking, wrecking Kato. Yes. I could, I like even in the huddle sometimes I couldn't understand what was the play. Okay. And we had an audible. I'll just put it that way. We had an audible that was yo yo, and and uh, and every time he would come in the huddle, he would start saying yo yo. Oh no! But it was just like a, <laughs> as a slang. <laughs> so it was like, hey, yo, yo, and I was like, okay, yo, yo, no, okay, no, it's he's just he's just saying, hey, <laughs> hey, guys, hey, what's up? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, he uh, he couldn't pronounce really uh, the R as a letter, so rap wrong. It was like it it always sounded like a W R. Okay. There was always like a, a well and. I would. I, I was about to say a silent W, but it, it's not a silent. It was like it was just appearing by itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was. Uh, it, it was much more about like where guys grew up. I remember Adrian Mackerson, uh, uh, and and uh, and Adrian Mackerson was a great guy. But was, sometimes we had, we had conversation. And I couldn't understand what he was saying because, I mean, it's just slangs, you know. Yeah. I would step in and I would see uh, John Bowman starting talking with uh, Anwar Stewart, and they were using right. slangs. And I, and you know when it's not part, it's just like uh, 
It's just like when you've learned how to speak French, you know, the proper French from France. Yes. And then you step in into a French-Canadian conversation. You will not pick up everything that's being said. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, no, I, it's, yeah. It's, uh, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was, <laughs> what about, that what was about the the, when it comes to uh, accents? Because I'll use, like, Tenor Marsh as an example. He's from Texas. I don't know how, how strong his... Uh, southern drawl was but was there ever a player that had such the strongest let's say southern accent or or boston accent that you're like dude what are you saying (laughs) uh the boston accent i get along with uh tanner marsh was uh well i I had to get used to uh to what he was saying but uh i now i i've been good with him uh, but as I said, I think uh, Adrian Maxerson and Rakim Cato has been have been like the guys that, especially Rakim more yeah. than m- more than Adrian. Uh, okay. Rakim was uh, like sometimes I was asking like, an, an American guy, "Did you understand what he said?" Yeah. And, and he was like, "No," because <laughs> <laughs> I mean they're just local slangs. Yeah. They're not. I mean. And and it's your first language, and I'm asking you, what did he say? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy then. <laughs> There's wow. something I don't get. Uh, yeah, no, so, even, yeah, even today, uh, I get yeah. it too. It's like talk, listening to somebody, you think they're from New Zealand, but they're actually from Australia, or you think they're from Britain, yeah. or something like that. You get the, but yeah. it, it, you tell them that, they're like, no, 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 I'm not from there, I'm from here. So it's <laughs> just a matter of getting used to, to the wording. Um, Say, hey. Well, I think the rawer your language is, it, the rawer your language is, yeah. the more you're likely to understand everybody. Yeah. And it's kind of weird to say. It's kind of weird to say, but as French Canadians here, we understand what French people from France are saying, yeah. but they don't really understand what we're saying. Right. And it's uh, and, and, and this is how it goes. I mean, uh, some, sometimes it's it like uh, if your your original language is not as refined as what it gets in the world. Um, I guess you're more likely to understand everybody. Is it? Is it is it's, sort of, it's kind of weird. It's like it, the opposite of what you would think. But right, mm. it's sort of like saying, as you're saying, uh, if the difference between melando and pastec. Because if you bring up pastec, I had not heard pastec until I had moved back into the camp, to Montreal for uh, was a couple of years, and I didn't know know what that word was. It's like I don't know that word. And then somebody's like, "Oh well, it's the Parisian <laughs> Parisian version of watermelon in French." I was like, "Oh, okay." So, so yeah, like you're Bastic. saying, yeah, pastic, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, it, 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 it is, it, like, yeah, and it's unreal. It's yeah. unreal when you think about languages and uh, how people are talking. Like basically, you would say French is French everywhere, but it's not. No. It's different everywhere you go. You ever and heard it's somebody same for English? You ever heard somebody speak Cajun French? LBJ. Cajun French? Yeah, it's tough. No, never. It's never happened. So yeah, I've, tough. I've, I've, I've heard uh, Asian, Asian, uh, you know the French, yep. uh, the French version of Asian. Yep. And um, in IT, they 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 talk, they, they they speak a language that is totally different from ours. And as I said, like the, their language is kind of more raw than the French Canadian, so they yep. understand. Like you would you would understand like if you go to IT and and you start talking with them in French. You can understand everything you're saying, but you will not pick up a word of what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, C- Cajun uh, French out of New way. Orleans. Cajun French out of New Orleans is is brutal. So it's <laughs> it's 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 tough to understand. Um, hey, we're coming up on a year, approximately a year, since you played your last game as an Alouette. We wanted to talk to you about that last game because obviously for you, um, 
you go into the game, you're expecting. I would imagine it was supposed to only be a a, a quarter or or a a series. You can you can give us more information on it, but you ended up playing the entire, basically more of the game because there was a, a player got hurt. What um, what was your original plan going into that into that uh, that home game here for the Alouettes that was supposed to be your your very last home game? Um, what I was going through was was basically it's. I, uh, first and foremost I, there's no other way i can put it around it, it's it's just uh, it was just a blessing to know that it was my last one uh you in in this type of uh of game and business you you never know when is your when it is your last one well sometimes you get hurt and you know but you didn't know before the game you know yeah and uh or or you go into your se- season as a veteran and you're thinking you still have one or two in the in the in the tank and suddenly nobody wants from you and you're just done and it just happens this this way for i'd say about ninety nine percent those two scenarios that I spoke about getting hurt yeah. or just teams moving on on you is about ninety nine point nine percent of <laughs> scenarios that happens in this league. Um, having the ability to uh, to walk to the stadium knowing that it was my last time as a player was just a blessing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I uh, well, what we spoke about during during the week was just uh, uh, I would play the first drive, the first offensive uh, series that we would get, and uh, then I would step out and and um, yeah. So that's what happened. We we played our first drive. Um, we didn't score a touchdown, but we were in great field position to do so, mm-hmm. and that didn't happen. So we went for a field goal, and then I just jogged off the field, and uh, that was it. And uh, but I stayed warm the whole during the whole game because I was still the seventh, let's put it that way, okay. or sixth or seventh offensive lineman on the field. Um, so uh, once uh, Sean Jameson got hurt, I think it was after a QB sneak, if I'm remembering correctly uh, i think it was a after a qb sneak that we we've done he got hurt on his ankle and uh and suddenly uh, uh coach dunn turned around and looked at me and it was like hey you gotta go back so uh i mean I, I never i never thought that that type of scenario would happen and then we went on to score <laughs> on that drive and yeah. then we i think we scored on two other two other drives during the game and obviously i'm um, I'm very proud to be part of that highlight uh, because we're going to see that highlight from uh, William Stenback for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been quite an impressive uh, performance for him with three touchdowns and 200 plus yards rushing the ball. So uh, uh, we had some good runs, and uh, I'm proud to I'm proud to think and know that um, I stepped out of the game uh, on very good terms with where I was personally, and uh, in very good terms with the team as well. So it, it was, it was, I'm blessed. Is it tough as a player? Cause you know, we've, we, we've spoken to AC before and we, we've spoken to others which have walked away for one particular reason or another as a player that's been in the league for such a long time. Was it a really difficult decision for you to make? Oh, it is. It is. It's still, it's still, uh, still gets to my, uh, you know, to my feeling. It get it get to, it gets to my feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about the game itself, because uh, you know, um, physically speaking, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm still 300 pounds, and I would still be able to be strong enough and fast enough. I'm pretty sure, but reality is the game for youth, and um, 
I mean, regarding the the, the career um, expense that you well, technically, when once you got drafted, you got like two years, three years to prove that you can uh, be there for longer. But yeah. it it's basically the average right there, three years. So um, it's 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 a blessing to know that I've played for so long. Uh, but I would have played until my last breath, you know. Yeah. It's it's such a fun game to play. It's yeah. uh, it's really a chess game, both with feelings and with uh, physicality. Uh, you're 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 you know your opponents. You know their moves. First move, first move, second move. You know the defensive coordinator. You're planning on him, and you, you're 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 stepping on the field, feeling ready to compete, ready, ready to, to fight and, and, and get into the end zone, score some points and, and live all those feelings with the team, whether it goes good or bad. Right. It, it don't really matter at the end. When you're thinking about the, the whole thing, you're, you're thinking about people you're doing with, you're doing it with, uh, and not about the results all the time, you know? And, uh, I've been fortunate to step in this league with a very, very, solid teams, very solid coaching staff, very solid organization. And then uh, it went on to, uh, uh, I'd say, an era of a little more darkness um, regarding the results. But still, I'm very appreciative of everybody that I've played with and everybody that stuck uh, with us, even if it was not easy. It wasn't easy at all. But we we were fighting. We were fighting together. We were... uh, uh, doing everything we could to put the best show on the field, and uh, and that's that's what I'm grateful for, yeah. having teammates during all those years, and that's what I'll cherish, like I'll keep as memories forever, and that's what I miss the most. How how were you able to make the transition so easily to the sideline, though? Because you know you weren't a player with the team anymore, but you but you were helping as. I, I don't remember if it was if I can't remember if it was on an unofficial capacity or an unofficial capacity that you were helping coach from the for the rest of the season. How how were you able to make that transition? Uh, the transition was easy because uh, I basically uh, evolved and I I got a, I got a, in touch with all the players. You know, it, 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 I was part of the team. Yeah. I've been part of the team for for last year and the year before, and so uh, I knew the people. Uh, more than the athletes, let's put it that way. Okay. And uh, and once you, <laughs> I think I was reliable as a player, even even if I was not playing anymore as a starter, I was still one of the first being in the in the basement watching film, getting ready to play, even if it wasn't happening, and I knew it wasn't happening. So I still show. I I, I think I've I've tried to the best of my abilities to provide um, the right. Uh, ingredients for success on the long term to the young guys and uh, they respected me for, I think I, I got respect for, for that uh, and I was not barking yelling having a bad uh, mood or bad behavior um, regarding my role or right. my, my my responsibility within the team um, so uh, stepping out from the player perspective and getting into the coach's perspective, I think it was basically just a continuum, a natural continuation of where I was as a player. Uh, I was still demanding. I was still asking guys. I was still giving my voice and my opinion. But at the same time, I had a little bit of more, a little more 
power regarding the game plan right. and what we would do as an offense or as an offensive line, especially uh, against our opponents for the upcoming weeks. So uh, I think I uh, it was uh, well. I'm, 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 I've been fortunate once again to step in as a coach with that type or this type of individuals uh, on the offensive line. Right. Uh, the group we had was amazing. Cliff. Okay. I, I, it's great that we're talking about your, your current role and all that, but I want to go way back. I want to go back to you all being right. a member member of the Rouge et Or of uh, the Université de Laval. Uh, talk to yeah. us about that experience. I mean, you've, you played in the Vanier Cup games. You were in the coaching system of Glenn Constantine. Talk, talk to us about how that led to becoming a member of the Montreal Alouettes. Well, when I think back about those years, those years, when I was in CJEP, we, we had a, well, I'm, I'll start from CJEP because um, I started playing there. I started playing my second year of CJEP. I started playing football over there. It wasn't a childhood dream. I wasn't even watching football. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know about the CFL or anything like that. So everything was quite new to me. And the first thing you understand, well, actually you understand fast when you start playing O-line, offensive line, is that nothing will do? You, nothing you will do will be natural. You don't you, you don't get up in the morning having an O line stance. You don't you don't kick kick back uh, in pass protection your daily basis on your daily basis. You don't ever do those moves. If you look at the position of an offensive lineman being a big man in a three point stance, getting out of it, punching, moving. Uh, doing the, some sort of mirror drill with the defensive line and then pushing there like there's nothing natural to it you don't you don't you don't you're not born doing it so when i started playing football in cjet it was much more about the technicalities uh, of playing offensive line that i was able to work on but when i got to Laval, i got to understand football and i'm not kidding uh once i got to Laval, i thought going over there that I knew um, like our offensive offense systems and, 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 and X knows, but I got to Laval and I understood that I knew nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. I always focused on, Hey, who's the nearest guy? Am I working with the center and, and like just simple stuff. But once I got to Laval, it was important to understand the whole defensive front and uh, getting to know where the pressure was coming from, game, game planning opponents. And uh, I think it was just the perfect fit for me. Uh, it was just the perfect fit for to, and having the right people. Jacques Coutier was the offensive line coach uh, because Carl Brennan went to the CFL for a couple of years. And uh, Carl Brennan came back to Laval when I was you know, on my senior, senior or my fifth year. Uh, with Laval and uh, I, I got Jacques Cloutier and he was willing to sit down with me and explain to me how football works. How do you read uh, the, the front in front of you? How do you, uh, uh, you know, adjust to everything? So uh, it was very, very beneficial for, for me as a football player to go in Laval because they were willing to uh, take the time and teach me. And uh, at the same time, we had results. I mean, I, I was fortunate. I got, <laughs> I got out from CJEP being out of three seasons. I was two and twenty-five. Tomorrow, uh, no, two and twenty. Uh, it was ten games a year. So I, I got two wins, one per year in my first two seasons. And the last season, we were zero and ten. Oof. So basically, two and twenty-eight. 
then I got to Laval, and after five years playing for Laval, we only lost four games. So it was uh, like we it was totally the opposite as an experience. But what it told me was actually uh, a great life lesson is not to look at the results. And as I said earlier right, uh, in this uh, interview, um, I, I've never been really focused on, on the overall results. I, I've been focused on how am I helping the team to get better. And, uh, and that, that's what it taught me as an individual is that you don't control the outcome as an individual of a team, but you control yourself. And, uh, and if you're willing to do the best for yourself, you're doing actually the best for your team. Hmm. And as uh, as a coach, how would you rank uh, Glenn Constantine? Like a lot of people have said, like why hasn't he gone to the CFL? Uh, in your opinion, what do you what do you think makes him such a good coach that he's able to produce championship winning teams year after year after year? I think. Uh, Glenn's best asset um, as a human being is that he's he's taking pride way much more into uh, bringing a young kid and and shaking his hand as a man when he gets out of the program. Um, and and uh, Glenn Glenn was a <laughs> well he's a very he's heck of a recruiter. He's he's a, <laughs> that's that's why they they have some. Very, very, very good teams uh, year in and year out. He's a very good coach. He's he's got the football knowledge. There's no questions about it. Uh, he would have everything you need for CFL. But I think where he takes his biggest pride is in seeing a young kid that was struggling with school uh, come into Laval and getting out with uh, uh, you know a master degree or PhD or, or or just having a bachelor degree. When you, I think of guys that <laughs> that got to Laval, they were struggling doing some summer classes from CJEP just to make sure that it would be they would be able to play a season with us uh, with the, the Rouge or and uh, they were going through summer classes and everything, and then they would get into the season and and you see them after four years, they have a bachelor degree, they got very very solid grades, and it's not because they got some some sort of BS uh, advantages or, or something like that. No, it's because of work and it's because of ethic and it's because school is a priority when you go to Laval. There's no, there's no, uh, I mean, I, if anything else, you get penalized because you're playing for football. You're, you're playing football for Laval. Uh, I remember I had to go for, um, uh, I remember it was in 2006, Six, might have been 2006 or 2007 during the spring break. Uh, usually it was the uh, training camp in Florida where everybody thinks it's just, hey, the Val is going to Florida for their for their training camp, but we're busing over there. So it's 24 hours of, 26 hours of bus uh, to get over there. And then you're practicing for four days to, to a day. And then uh, you're doing the 26 hours back <laughs> of busing. Wow. Uh, and, 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 but it's a team bonding even, but at the same time, when you think about the schedule, the schooling schedule, it's where the exams are. So I remember I had to do three, uh, half semester, like, uh, the semester exam, like, uh, midterm. Uh, this is how you say it in English. Yes. Midterm, that's right. Midterms. So I had to do three midterms exams prior everybody else in Quebec in Florida after 26 hours of busing. Oh, <laughs> I had to do my exams over there. <laughs> So wow. we did the 26 hours. I got 
to uh, the facility that we were in, the hotel, hotel, and then the, I got over there. And the very next morning, I had one exam in the a.m., one exam in the p.m., and then I had another exam the other day a.m. And the, all the, those three exams were prior, and everybody else in Canada, in Quebec, in province, uh, well, in Laval. Okay. So, uh, it, it, you don't you you don't get any bypass. You're you're, you're not. It's, I mean, you're going to work your butt off. And and if you want to have very good grades, if you want to be a solid student, and if you want to be a solid football player, I mean, there's no time for anything else. You're that's you're you're all in. And uh, that that was my experience uh, being a rouge or, and I think it made me the man I am. Well, it. It's it's uh it's a part of the men I am right now. I mean, wow, by, that's 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 incredible. Yeah, I was gonna say, and by by 2010, you were a, you were a five time champion, three Vanier Cups, two two Grey Cups. <laughs> did you did you think my, your football? I mean, as you said, you started late in football. Could your football career have started any better? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, well. I started realizing uh, how fortunate I was um, maybe after maybe 2014, 2015. Okay. Because um, uh, basically what happened, uh, I remember I graduated first and foremost. I, I finished, well, I ended my, my uh, amateur career with the Vanny Cup above my head, mm-hmm. which is quite rare, right? It happens for one team every year and and uh, for for all the other teams it's like it didn't happen and there's a lot of players graduating year in and year out so uh, i was very fortunate to end up my career uh with laval uh as an well as a cis player with the great uh, the vanier cup above my head and then i moved on to the canadian football league and we won the great cup two years in a row yeah. so it was like three years in a row of championships yeah. and uh <laughs> and it, it, it was quite amazing i won't lie uh but i remember in 2010 i basically didn't even celebrate i i i, I was doing my master degree in finance and i went back uh, to school right after okay and uh it was uh you know you, you, like i was just doing what i had to do because i started my master degree uh uh, in 2008, so I wanted to keep going and with, with it. So as soon as it was done, I went back uh, to Laval and I kept I kept doing my the master degree. So um, I didn't have the chance to celebrate as much or as efficiently as I should have done uh, with with my peers and my teammates because uh, I was into going back to school. So uh, I I never thought that it would be like that. You know I and and it was just unreal. I mean, it's uh, it was the great or I, what I call the perfect mixture. It was just a perfect mixture. Yeah. We had some great youth. Uh, when I think about the offensive line, we had Scott Flory, Paul Lambert, Brian Chu, but as well, we had some youth. I mean, uh, uh, Jeff Parrott and uh, Josh Berg were young. Skip Skip Sea Rays, myself, uh, Andrew Woodruff, uh, Ryan Bombin that came in uh, in 2010. So. Uh, Dylan Steinberg who got drafted as well uh, in 2009, I think. So uh, we were we had the good mix, you know, on the offensive line. But as a team, it, as a team, it was like as well. If you look at defensive, and you had a very, very solid and were Stewart on one end, but a very young John Bowman on the other side. Yeah. Uh, Eric Wilson with J Mac and Kron Williams in 2009. Um, 
I mean, the, the, the defensive backs were, uh, were you had uh, Davis Sanchez on one side and uh, on the other side, uh, Mark Stell was young, so experience on one side and, and youth on the other. So, I mean, it's it was a it was a great mixture. It was just a great mixture. Uh, S.J. Green in two, 2010, but you had S.J. Green, uh, Jamel Richardson as well, uh, Kerry Watkins, Ben Cahoon, who was like <laughs> above uh, above everyone else. So it, it was just unreal. It was just the perfect mix. And, and the coaches, the coaching staff, it was, well, he was a very experienced coach, but quite young in the CFL, right, with uh, Mark Tressman. So it was his second year and third year when I was there. So okay. uh, he was young and he was willing and he had an open mind. He was willing to listen to the guys and knew what would work and what would not work. So that it was just perfect. It, and it was it was pretty cool considering you know, how well you've done, considering and Cliff and I have made reference to this before for you, with you, and I can't remember who, who we had interviewed, but you technically were Mr. Irrelevant in the CFL draft. I don't know if you've heard that term before from the NFL. It's usually the player who gets picked last. Their, that's what their nickname is is given to that player is, quote-unquote, Mr. Irrele- Irrelevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, you, as I said, you got picked 48th last in the in the, in the 08 draft in round six. Um, did you think that you were going to get picked? Had you been told you were going to get picked by the Owls or another team? Because – you know, we always wonder what could this, you know, one of our superstars have ever gone to another team? Did it where you had any of the team reached out to you before or or did, you know, thank God Saskatchewan gave up their pick to Montreal that, that, you, ended up, <laughs> that you ended up being chosen? Uh, it was just, uh, I guess, a mixture, of, a mixture of many elements. Uh, first and foremost, I, I think I had, I was invited for uh, the Toronto, uh, uh, how do they call that, the, the Combine, the combine, the Toronto yep. Combine, the National Combine that we had in Toronto back then. I don't know if it's still in Toronto nowadays, but uh, um, we had a combine. I got invited over there, and I remember vividly. I was the heaviest offensive lineman, and by far, uh, and I was, I think, the second fastest, uh, maybe the third or maybe second. I can't remember. Uh, that, but I remember that I was maybe the second best uh, on bench press on the bench press on that day, um, and and it was a, quite a good, you know, um, uh, how do you call it? A, a draft mm-hmm. for offensive line. It was a good core. There was a good core of offensive linemen that year. Uh, if I think back about the guys that got drafted. I mean, there was uh, Dimitri Tsupas, uh, there was uh, Brendan Labatt, uh, there was uh, Justin Sorensen, uh, uh, Andrew Woodruff, myself, uh, uh, Greg Volk, uh, who played for Hamilton Volk. I can't I can pronounce his last name, but <laughs> he played for Hamilton. Uh, so there was a, a bunch of good offensive linemen that, that got solid careers in the CFL. Uh, but I, I think I had a very bad session of one-on-one. Uh, the one-on-one, uh, when you showcase against the D-line, um, it wasn't, I, I mean, I, I didn't feel uh, in my element when we've done those. Uh, it was quite odd, actually. I think it's the first year that, and it's the only year that they've done that. It was one-on-one, open space, no reference, no offensive line in front of you, like uh, beside, usually when you line up for the one-on-one, there's five guys, 
And then if you're the right guard, you, you step up and you just line up as a right guard. So you got your reference because you got your right tackle beside you in your center. And it was just uh, one-on-one open field. And uh, I didn't get a good session. So I think my stock went down <laughs> quite a bit uh, in that day. And um, in interview, interview wise, I remember, I'll forever remember my interview with Charlie Taff. And I guess I, uh, it's just, it's just me. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't talk to um, say good things or anything like that. I just speak my mind right. out loud, you know? And, uh, and I remember having the interview with Charlie Taff and uh, Charlie asked me, uh, he was like, Hey, uh, so why should we draft you? Hamilton Tiger Cats. I was like, well, do you need a right guard? And he's like, what? I said, do you need a right guard? Because if you don't need a right guard, don't draft me. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. And, 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 <laughs> and I, I, and I, I, you know, I think about it right now, and like maybe it sounded cocky or overconfident. It was like it was not at all what I had in my mind. In my mind, it was just like, do you need a guy in my position, or you don't? Yeah. I mean, and that, that that was just not about my capacity or 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 my will to to be in the CFL. It was just like, well, do you need offensive line and do you need a right guard? Because it's the only position that I've played my whole career. I only played right guard my whole career, and then I got drafted by Montreal. And obviously, I've learned that I would never play right guard uh, once I've seen uh, Scott Flory playing the position. <laughs> I was like, hey, if I'm willing to stick to Montreal. I need to learn something else. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I did my first training camp with Montreal, and I got cut. I went back to Laval, and then I started practicing fullback, tight end, left guard, center, uh, even some tackle. Uh, I was doing everything I could do with the second string. Uh, I was still the right guard on the first string with Laval, but as soon as we were done with our, uh, with our offense, and uh, we would have the second string stepping in to provide a look for the defense, I would step in and do uh, whatever would be required. If they needed a fullback or tight end, and I, and I would help at center, I would go in and snub the ball. And, and uh, that's where I've learned the position. And then uh, I, went to, I came back to Montreal being some sort of the perfect sixth man because uh, I could play and I could catch the ball. I spent the whole year actually throwing and catching because I was like, if I'm about to be a sixth man, I might run a route and I might have – pass coming my way and I don't want to I don't want to be the dummy who doesn't have any ends so uh <laughs> so I prepared myself for that situation and uh it's helped me out I mean I I got a catch in the CFL for Macy that's true so, that's against true. BC BC Lions in 2010 I still remember that where uh, it was actually our win we, we won that game in BC which was a rare uh thing back then that's right uh, at uh, Empire Field if I'm not mistaken yep exactly exactly Oh yeah, one catch, and it was plain enough. I, I got I got hit on the knee, right on the kneecap. I got oh. up and I'm like, I'm not a receiver. I want to go back on the O line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I, went back. I, I, I was at left guard for that game, and uh, I went back to left guard position. <laughs> to, to just let Cahoon handle the catches. It's all good. <laughs> oh, it was horrible. I got the the tip of the helmet right on the kneecap, and I was oh. Oh, man, that hurts. Uh, I was like, how those receivers do? But I, I mean, they're. I guess when it's DBs and receivers, they don't tackle uh, each other the same. I guess they don't tackle the same way as when they see a 320 pounds guy <laughs> catching the ball. They're going automatically for knees and lower. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's got it's got to feel good for you every time you see the the quote unquote big man touchdown, right? Just to to know that you've you've been there, you've you know what it's like to make a <laughs> make a catch, but then you see these guys, oh, these big amazing. fellas come in and. I, I still remember uh, as well uh, Brian Bauman here in Montreal catching a ball, a ball right above uh, Sherritt's head. GC uh, uh, Sherritt was a short linebacker for sure, but uh, still, it was an impressive play for for Bauman to catch a ball and uh, and get that touchdown. It was uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> Ryan Bauman had, had incredible hands, and if you can see him in pregame, he always liked to have a quarterback coming on the field with him and throwing some throwing him some football. So. Uh, I don't know what, what's going to happen with uh, Bauman's career, but uh, if if he still plays in the CFL, if he's uh, if he's about to sign with a team, uh, if you can see him pregame, it's quite unbelievable what he can achieve. He's a tremendous athlete. Mm-hmm. Now, talk to us about uh, one thing I want to talk about as far as the Mr. Irrelevant thing goes, because we had DJ Lalama on That's the podcast a couple yeah. weeks ago, yeah. and he too was uh, the Mr. Irrelevant of his draft class. And we mentioned to him that you were the Mr. Re- relevant of 2008 and he was, he thought it was incredible just the career that you've had as, as a sort of, as a result from that. So they, I, you're, you're inspiring people already just to let you know, as far as just because you're, you're the last person taken, doesn't mean that it doesn't reflect on you. It's at the end of the day, it's what you do with that opportunity. Would you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree. Uh, what people define as luck is, uh, well, I didn't create that, but uh, I'll put it that way, but it's, what, what, what is being described as luck, if you're saying you've been lucky, is that you prepared yourself for your opportunity. And uh, the, when I said that, I, I, I did some conference in the school, and one time after uh, after I was done with the conference, uh, a kid asked me, and he just uh, he was like, well, if you win the lottery, uh, you've been lucky. i like, well, did you prepare yourself? Did you buy a ticket? Well, you prepared yourself for your opportunity. Your number came out. So you prepared yourself. So it's it's a perfect meeting of of preparing yourself for opportunity. And um, I, I guess uh, where you're if you're drafted, I get the, the only thing that happens is uh, if you get drafted in the first round, I get there's a there's a higher um, how how can you say that? It's, uh, it's basically there's higher expectations mm-hmm. regarding your career if you've been drafted in the first round. But at the same time, an organization is more uh, inclined to give you more opportunities to succeed. While if you get drafted in the late rounds, there's not many expectations, but there's not many chances. Chances. There's not many uh, opportunities. You get one shot, and you you better show up and be ready. Mm-hmm. So you have to provide uh, information to the club, to your coaches, to your teammates, and and to the whole organization that you're about to be reliable, that they can trust you on the long term. And this is how this is all you need to show. You need to show that you're going to be reliable and and that you're going to produce uh, to the best of your abilities. And in that fashion, in some sort of ways, this is how you're going to extend your career. And this is how you will not regret any time or, or you're, you're, you won't feel that you wasted anything uh, of your life. I mean, just doing your best at all time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, who knows how, where, how and where it leads you. I mean, uh, I wasn't expecting to uh, move on from the playing game to moving on to the coaching game, to, to the coaching thing. I, I mean, it was not planned. 
it's just something that uh, I, I guess I showed during the course of my career that um, basically provided um, me the opportunity. So I just prepared myself the whole time for something that I was not even seeing back then that I could turn into a coach. Now, 2009, the Alouettes won the Grey Cup. Brian Chu is the center. He's been center for so many years, working alongside of AC. Uh, the chemistry between those two, of course, is second to none. Brian decides in 2010, <laughs> time to call it a career. Paul Lambert ends up being the center for a little bit, and then it's you. What led to that progression that you ended up becoming the center for the Alouettes and the incredible results that came as a result of that? Well, um, in 2009, uh, Paul Lambert got hurt uh, uh, with his ankle uh, to my collection, and uh, he missed, I think, somewhere around six games or eight games. I can't remember uh, properly. I can't remember uh, specifically, but I, I showed up being uh, I, getting some experience at left guard position and uh, because of Paul's injury, and I was a six-man, so uh, they gave me the opportunity to play. So I stepped on the field, and I was the left guard as a true rookie uh, coming in the league at, in 2009. So in 2010, when Brian retire, retired uh, right before the season, uh, Paul was good with the center position. He could snap the football. He could play at the position. And uh, I started the season at left guard. Uh, the issue I, I had um, starting the first, I think, six games of the season, uh, first and foremost, I don't think I was playing as good as the year before, but that happens uh, with a lot of the second-year guys. <laughs> uh, when you're, you're the first-year, players don't really know you. They don't know your tendencies. They don't know your, your weaknesses. And then they watch film, you know, uh, they watch film during the off season. They, they want to make sure that the next year, the, the same scenario doesn't uh, happen again. So uh, um, my second year, uh, I was playing for as well as surgery on my left wrist. So I couldn't really punch with my left hand. I was struggling with my left hand, which was my powerful hand. Uh, if you if you've got a three technique uh, uh, on the left side, so. Uh, I, I was struggling. I, basically, I was struggling during the start season. So they replaced me after game six or seven. We were playing Saskatchewan in Montreal, and Skip Seagraves uh, played the left guard position for that game. And uh, then we went into game eight, and Andrew Woodruff stepped in as uh, the left guard, Canadian left guard, and I was back to the sixth man. Uh, back then and until uh, we played in Calgary where uh, Paul Lambert tore his bicep uh, in Calgary and uh, after that uh, I stepped in as at the center position and uh, and uh, the story goes I, I kept playing at the position until uh, I got hurt myself in uh, in uh, 2015 um, uh, against uh, Edmonton which I thought was my last game in the CFL back then <laughs> I, I remember that injury too. That was that was tough. It was definitely tough for fans, for, for us fans to watch that. And I can just imagine like the emotions that you must have been going through as well, just wondering what next kind of thing. So it's, I could, I, again, it's thankfully though you were able to recover and still managed to put together, a, I'd say, an okay career. <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, once again, it's one thing that um, I'm very appreciative for. I mean, I got hurt. Uh, I still, I, I think it was November first, 2015. I got hurt against Edmonton, and I thought it was my last game. 
And uh, I finished the game, uh, but I knew uh, something was wrong with my knee. And uh, I got through the surgery. And usually for big men, they're saying it takes uh, a year uh, to, to uh, recover from an ACL, MCL uh, surgery. And um, I remember that I was uh, running and I was fit and ready to go for training camp. Uh, but I, uh, I had to pass the uh, dynamo test. I, I can't remember the, the name of the, the, uh, the, the test that I had to do. And uh, once I got cleared, I was uh, back but, uh, at the sixth man. And in 2017, though, uh, it was uh, quite amazing to be able to play the whole season, uh, even if we had... I mean, we, we struggled that season uh, with many changes, but the, <laughs> the original lineup, I always like to, uh, to remember from that season that the original lineup that we had on paper, when we played together, I don't think we gave away a sack, or maybe out of six games. I think we played the first, four game, four, the, full, the first four games or five games without allowing a sack. And uh, we were playing against uh, Winnipeg in Winnipeg, and uh, they had the best defense against the run. And and we ran, we rushed for 100, and I can't remember how many yards, 125, maybe 150 yards on them uh, in their house uh, with our starting lineup. But we weren't able to stay healthy with the whole crew. I mean, Christian that got hurt. Uh, I think we had like maybe seven or eight different guards that year. Uh, not, not even talking about the tackle position. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, only Brian Simmons and uh, myself were able to play the old 17, uh, 18 games during the season. And even for the last one of the season, I was badly hurt as well. So <laughs> we had a great group uh, in 2017. And 2018, 2019 were uh, years where I was watching games more than playing. But I still appreciate a lot of uh, of what I've I've got from those seasons. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you passed the torch, so to speak, as far as the center position? Because I know it's not an easy position to play at all. And trying to replace a legend like you is easier said than done. And I know Christian Matt now is the center, and he's he's really come into his own as well. But do you feel, in a sense, that you've been able to sort of, I guess, uh, let that next generation come through yet? Or is that something that you're going to find as your coaching career progresses, that you're going to be that person that's going to help bring in the next great center for the Alouettes? Well, Christian, Matt, the first thing uh, about Christian is that Christian is always, I've always been, he's been a great guard. He's, he's very physical. He likes to get nosy. He loves contact. He loves to be, uh, uh, you know, to, to get physical on guys. And the center position is not a position where you can do it as much as when you were a guard because the nearest threat is not in front of you most of the time. Uh, it's, it's always a combination with somebody else. It's rarely, you're rarely on your own, uh, doing your thing. So it's, uh, it's a different vibe you get out of it. Uh, but I think because of the fact that I got hurt in, in, uh, 2015, the 2016 season, he played center. Uh, he was very, I think he was happy to go back to guard in 2017, but after that 2018, 2019, and, now what will be 2020 i know that he's embracing the position he he, he loves the position now uh i think when it started he was not as um good with that situation but now he's he's embracing it and he loves the position now i think it's it's, it's always i mean it's it's a position that is asking you a lot on your nerves uh, because you're always, uh, there's a lot of people that realize they're relying on you. They're relying on your call. They're, they're waiting for your call. They, and you have to be prepared and you 
got to take the hit because uh, you're, you're making a decision in a quick and it might be the right or it might be the wrong decision, but you come back on the sideline and then you have to speak and you have to talk and say everything that you've seen uh, to your coach. So uh, there, there's, there's responsibilities that you don't really get when you're playing uh, anywhere else on the O-line. Uh, so uh, it's a different vibe that you get out of the game. Sometimes you're, you're very uh, happy about the result uh, of the game, but you're not satisfied about your game at all just because of the decisions you've took. Not about how you executed executed those decisions, but just because of the decisions you made. Bad decisions at a wrong time, and then that's what sticks to your memory for, for, for a couple of hours uh, or days after where if you get beat physically by a guy, it's one rep. You know, you move on to the next one. But you didn't jeopardize the whole scheme or the whole offense, you know. You just missed you missed your your physical assignment, but you didn't strat like the strategy behind it was called by someone else. So it's uh it's a different uh, and different environment. I guess the only other person that can really understand that would be a quarterback to a higher degree than center, All right. much higher actually. Okay. All right. We're in 2020 right now. Uh, during the offseason, the Alouettes hired Marcel Belfay as the offensive line coach. And now he has moved on to the University of Ottawa to become their head coach. Uh, yeah. Has has there been any talk with you as far as your position, as far as making you the official offensive line coach? Or is that still sort of up in the air? I mean, given the circumstances of everything that's going on, of course, but... Has there been any sort of discussions as to your actual role within the coaching staff? Uh, there's been discussions, but uh, the discussions were uh, much more about, uh, well, obviously once Marcel got the job in Ottawa, um, I think uh, Kahari is uh, looking at the options of who's available here and there and where. Um, and uh, he's going to take the best decision he can, uh, re- well, related to many phases. I mean, it could be the business side, it could be uh, whatever, uh, the, the amount of games that we're going to play. I don't know uh, those all those factors because it's way above my rank within the organization. Right now, as we speak, I'm the assistant offensive line coach until I'm being told anything else. Uh, one thing for sure is that, once again, uh, I think that's what I've done my whole career is that if there's an opportunity, I'll be ready. That's all I can say. So uh, if I'm about to be an offensive line coach, I'm willing to, uh, to to do whatever I can to put the team in the best position and uh, do the, to the best of my abilities. But the reality is that I'm still a very, very, very young coach. And uh, the offensive line is actually one of the highest priority when you think uh, about a team after, obviously, uh, offensive scheme and quarterback. Uh, you want to protect that quarterback, and uh, and you got to have the the right setup. You know, you got to have a good offensive line coach that knows the X and O's, but as well um, how uh, to get the guys prepared for the game. I'm not thinking I'm I'm not ready for that. It's just that I don't have any experience doing it, and uh, it's uh, it's a very odd situation that we have right now in 2020. Obviously, there's no training camps yet. We don't even know when it's going to start, if it starts, like all the factors that that are social factors that we can't control. Uh, it's it's all question marks. So I understand 
for now that they didn't come up with a new guy or a new person that would step in as an offensive line coach because, I mean, the level of uncertainty is quite high, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll just uh, embrace whatever happens, and that's one thing for sure. I'll be ready and make to the best of my abilities. So it's no different than being a player. It's just a matter of staying ready, and when your number is called, you got your opportunity to make up. the most of it. Yep. <laughs> Show up. <laughs> so it's it's still the same scenario. I mean, uh, and and uh, the good thing that the thing that I like, I, I really love the coaching staff that we had um, last year. I mean, having a guy who's just freshly retired stepping in as a coach, uh, I felt like I've I got I got accepted by uh, the coaches right away. And uh, they were willing to listen to my ideas, which is a role that, I mean, as a player, your your role, your, like what your task and what you need to focus on is to take that game plan and execute that game plan to the best of your abilities. But at the same time, when you look at a game plan or if you look at strategies from coaches that are being provided to you as a player, you have like your ideas, you're like, ah, this I like, this I don't like. And, and, but at the same time, it's not for you to say, that's what I want to do. And that's that I will not do. It's not for you to say that. And, and I understood that as a player. So I was doing everything that was asked, um, to me as a player, as a center, but as a coach now, it's, it's, it, I think it's a formidable, formidable staff that we have right now with Kahari and Andre Bolduc, uh, even Coach Gordon on, on the offensive side of things. Uh, we get along very well, and I think I was able to voice myself and being heard, which is, uh, uh, I guess, I don't even know if it's rare. I don't even know, <laughs> you know. I, I, I all I can tell is I, I felt like there was a big respect uh, vibe uh, coming from the coaches as soon as I stepped in as a coach. As a as a coach, you know, being what's happening right now, how frustrated are your not necessarily just your players on the offensive side, but on, but the teams and you know the whole team in general? How what is your I mean, you're only given as much information as the CFL seems to be handing out, and that goes through. I'm sure, the, you know the, the, the you know through. You know. Sometimes three dominations got more information than I do. <laughs> that, that, wow. <laughs> um, what? How are your How are your players feeling? Because obviously, us as fans, we can you know we only see what we say. Sit on Three Down Nation, on 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 TSN, on RDS, and in the newspapers. But h- how are your how are your players feeling right now? Well, I think the biggest um, the biggest thing about the players is uh, I said it earlier about the, the life expense of a career in CFL right. is about three years. So you're aging, but you're not playing. So uh, you're thinking obviously about something else, even if you're young. Uh, and the reality of the Canadian Football League is that we, for sure, we got some guys, uh, especially much more about the quarterback position, who are making a good living out the out of the CFL. But if you're thinking about the uh, minimum salary guy or the average, or I think the average in the CFL last year, uh, the average salary was somewhere around $75,000. Um, considering that half of the league is American, 
uh, you take that seventy five thousand, you take away maybe the thirty something thousand dollars for your taxes, then you convert back to American, which is taking away another thirty thousand uh, <laughs> dollars. There's not much left. Yeah. So you got to think about something else, and 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 not having the season right now, it's it's a lot about financial uh, the financial aspect of things because there's no revenues. There's no revenues for your family. There's no revenues for for your, for for your kids or your wife or for yourself for paying your rent or your food. Uh, so you got to think about something else, and uh, and and this is where it hurts the most because. I mean, there's. It's not like it's a bunch of millionaires that not that are not really concerned on the short term. On the short term, right. Every player in the Canadian Football League, except some. Um, I mean, I, I mean, some scenarios, some some um, exceptions. Uh, they're really concerned about. Well, how am I feeding my family? How am I doing things right now? Am I hanging up just because of the situation moving on to something else or I'm finding in the, like you can find a job, but at the same time, you're, I mean, it's tough to, <laughs> it's tough to apply for a job somewhere when you tell them, well, I might leave next week because right. we might start the season. <laughs> so and, when you, and, uh, when you see what happens with, with what James Wilder Jr. decided to do, you don't blame him based on exactly what you, what you just said. He had to do something. Oh, not in order at all. To, yeah. Not at all. I mean, he took a he took a, a a responsible decision regarding what the situation is right now and what were his options. I mean, uh, as much as you love the game, the football game, it's still a game, and it won't last as a player, and it won't sometimes it won't last as a coach. I mean, it's there there's a, a strong, very high turnover. Of, uh, of let's put it that way, employees uh, in, in this business. So, uh, so not knowing knowing that it will not last, you're you're just trying to do the best decision for 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 yourself and your family. Yeah. So I'm not I, I'm not uh, angry uh, at all about what happened with uh, uh, James Wilder Jr. I mean, he took the best decision for himself and his family, which is what he should have done, anyways. Do you, um, based on the information that you have received, do you feel that the, do you feel that the CFL ha- need, had, needs to do a better job keeping you guys in the loop? Because we as fans are just as frustrated. But I can I imagine you, the Players Association, and I know you go, you know, as coaches, you don't have a have a union. But um, do you do you feel that the CFL could be a little bit more transparent and keep you guys up to date? Well. It depends. I mean, I mean, uh, as much as you want to be transparent in life, sometimes if you don't know something yet, why, right. why would you come out and say something that you're not sure of? And and uh, I don't know where the league is right now, where they're saying we're we're about to play, or when is it going to start, or like all those questions that we might have as coaches or uh, for uh, as players. Uh, 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 in, in the league, I mean, uh, or as fans, uh, you might ask a question, but if the answer is unsure, why would you answer? Right. You just basically just can answer, I don't know yet. You might have uh, an idea of where you're going to and, and what, what you're going to do, but until you're really sure about the plan, you better not say anything. 
Fair. And I guess it just goes on with any phases of your life. I mean, it's not it's not about like uh, the crisis right now. I mean, if I'm saying something to my wife, I, I, I want to make sure that what I told her is 100% true. And I'm sure of what I say, it's better that than putting question marks. Yeah, and that's a fair answer. That's actually probably, you know, I said we've heard, seen, we've seen players complain on social media. We've seen this, that and the other. But you know what, LBJ, I think it's probably the best explanation and answer i've heard concerning it and i applaud you because it's it, it, i think if, if everybody that's listening to this podcast fans whoever you know whether it be in the states or whether it be here in canada or or, or across the world uh, i think it's probably one of the uh, you you put it perfectly you really did and i, I again i i really appreciate that answer well, thank you. I mean, it's, it's the only thing I, 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 to me, I, I, there's an uncertainty for me as a person, as an individual, but I don't know as well how it's going to turn out. I don't know as well how it's going. So what am I supposed to say to my wife about when I leave or when it's happening where, or where the camp is going to be and what the season? I just say I don't know yeah. because it's actually what I know. I know that I don't know. So it's better for me to say that than to say, oh, it's going to be, a, uh, I don't know, whatever date or whatever moment. And, right. and, and so I, I think it's just the best answer. And, and obviously it's disappointing for, for everybody else uh, to, as an answer, basically being, I don't know, we're not sure yet. Uh, then uh, just going to players and say, hey, it's going to be, uh, I don't know. Uh, it could be uh, what we're July first. It's going to be July fifth, and then yeah. you're July fourth, and they say, oh, "Well, it's going to be July 15th. and then you yeah, July fifteenth, and you go, hey, "It's going to be July twenty fifth." Right, right. And then you're just, I mean, you're just disappointed the whole time instead yeah. of just waiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I know the one, one. There's one last thing we wanted to bring up to you before we let you go. I know Cliff, you wanted to bring it up, but it's it's actually something very. Uh, Cliff mentioned it to me today because I hadn't paid much to social media, but it's something that was very interesting, and I want we want to hear your point of view. So go ahead, Cliff. Yeah. So we we saw the story. Uh, basically, the Alouettes had a uh, I guess uh, employee wide conference call, so to speak, uh, regarding. Uh, some of the stuff that's going on throughout the the world right now, as far as uh, race relations and uh, uh, just uh, dealing with uh, racial prejudices and things of that nature, uh, were you a part of that call? And if you were, uh, what did you learn from it? Because I know that uh, Kahari Jones, Vernon Adams, Hinak Mwamba, they all talked about their experiences, uh, you know, as far as dealing with the public and that, and uh, just their roles within the league as well, as far as how to handle race relations and how to get better training as far as how to talk with people about it and how to deal with certain scenarios that come up. Uh, were you a part of that call? And if so, what did you take from it? I've been part of that call for about, uh, I'd say, half an hour because I had an appointment, a uh, personal appointment, so I had to leave um, the call. But I've heard uh, Vernon Adams Jr. and uh, Kahari uh, speaking on the issue. Um, I mean, uh, <laughs> well, what I've what I've learned is basically uh, what I've been knowing for 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 years that there's there's a I mean there's situations across the world across the planet but in here in America uh, and I, I mean uh, just today I posted uh, on my Facebook uh, a speech of uh, well an interview with uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, I said that's why he was well he is the greatest of all time um, I, there's there's social aspects that we 
don't really control, but we have to be uh, concerned with and uh, conscious conscient of. Uh, I mean, uh, as a human being, I don't think uh, personally that I have any racism into me uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, I, I don't judge people in their skin, the way they talk, the way they walk or anything like that. I judge people on, on, on my personal, uh, feeling about when I know him, <laughs> am I talking to a good person according to my system of values, or am I not talking to a good person according to my system of values? I don't base it on any other factors. Um, but there's different type of racism across the world and. um, I mean, uh, it's something that we have to fight uh, as human beings, and and uh, it's it's a common. I mean, it's just a common uh, thing that we all have together that we have to fight. Uh, it's it's the system of values uh, that has to be uh, modified, I guess. And we we see uh, what's happening in America, especially uh, with all the the the, the black uh, Black Lives Matter. Movement. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm mis- mispronouncing it, uh, but it, it's it's uh, it's a very important movement that we are seeing right now, and it's totally, totally, totally relevant. And it started a couple of years ago, but I still remember. I mean, I, one of my favorite bands, uh, musically speaking, is Rage Against the Machine. And if you listen to a Rage Against the Machine uh, uh, back in '94, '95, it's it was still the same. It's a, it's the same speech. So did it really change throughout the years? We would expect for it to be better, but what we're seeing right now and what, what's happening, uh, what we're seeing right now is that some unacceptable uh, things are happening uh, in America and it needs to change for good. We can't remain silent. We can't, we can't just move on to something else. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be uh, modified and we can't go on uh, in our society um, saying that it's okay or, or just not being able to talk about it or feeling uncomfortable about it. It's, 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 it was a crime. What happened, what happened was a crime, straight up crime and and it's, uh, it's unacceptable. So I, and it's, it's something, uh, that I can't talk myself being well other than speaking like oh, okay i remember that i had a couple of years ago a teammate that wouldn't talk to me because i was french canadian he thought i was a superiorist he wouldn't talk to me because of that <laughs> and i thought hey i'm canadian i'm celebrating my my canada day today i'm canadian and he was like oh you're not superiorist you speak french oh, i speak french yeah Fr- french is my first language but i'm canadian i'm canadian i'm french canadian i'm quebecois and i'm a proud quebecois but I'm proud Canadian as well. And, and I mean, it can happen on so many factors. You can be part of the LGBTQ uh, and live some sort of discrimination regarding uh, just because of the way you look or the way you behave and, and people think of you, oh, you might be gay, I don't like gay people, whatever. And, and suddenly you're living, uh, you're living not the life you're supposed to live because what you do with, within your own life or how you look shouldn't affect uh, uh, the, the uh, you know, shouldn't provide an original thought about who you are. I mean, you, if you want to learn about someone and if you want to talk with someone, don't don't base it on anything else than the discussion you have with the person. And it's just, it's just unfortunate what's happening right now.
it's dividing people. It's way better. It's way better when it's unified. Yeah. Now, as far as in the confines of the locker room itself, obviously you're not going to reveal. I, I I don't want you to reveal anything uh, that you you don't think you should. But I mean, do you see? Like as as a unified front, you're all there to play football. You're all part of a team, so you're all there with one common goal. But do you have you ever seen or noticed any things like this? I mean, aside from this one player that I don't want to say attacked you, but I guess questioned you as far as being French Canadian. But uh, have you seen any well, other instances of things like that? Answer is quite fast and simple. The answer is no, <laughs> no. During my career, uh, during my career in this Canadian football league, all I've seen is. Uh, is respect between players, between uh, coaches. I, I don't remember at all any situation where uh, where it was like an issue of, of uh, sexual orientation, nor color of your skin, uh, nor uh, your your system of belief, whether you're Muslim or or Catholic or, uh, uh, or I don't know how you say that in uh, in English. Uh, is it Catholic? Catholic, yeah. Believe in Jesus Christ. All right, there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, like your belief or whatever, it, it's just like as long as you respect each other, the locker rooms is, is just open. And I think it's one of the like pretty much all the coaches I've had in my career. Uh, I remember uh, Mark Tressman saying, "I'm not expecting to for you guys to love everybody." You will not love everybody, but we're going to respect each other. We're going to have like good conversation. We will not use a language that is unacceptable uh, between each other. So everything was always polite. Uh, it could have been like emotional, but at the same time, it was polite. There, was, there was no uh, no verbal, um, I'd say, abuse. violence uh, or, or abuse. Uh, that was happening uh, within our football club, and uh, we had some. I remember uh, back when uh, when uh, Michael Sam with us was with us, and and it, I I I don't remember any issue. I mean, it was just based on football skills. It didn't last for him because I mean the the, the football skills for the CFL was not the perfect set, and he just said it himself after. Uh, I mean, he was used to be in a three-point stance, and in the CFL, it's really hard to be a defensive and being in a three-point stance because you have the read option and and uh, and the, the Canadian Football League. I mean, uh, with the yard uh, between the D line and the O line, the tackles are going to jump you, and it's kind of hard to readjust at that point. So, technically speaking, like the learning curve was very. Uh, big uh, to adjust to the Canadian Football League, but regarding his sexual orientation, nobody cared. I didn't. I didn't care. I didn't care at all. So it's just. Uh, I mean, I, I think we have a beautiful league, and it just embraces the system of values that I see here in Canada. I mean, it, I don't. I never thought of Canada as a as a country where uh, your your the color of your skin or your sexual orientation or whichever God you believe in would affect uh, your your potential. Uh, I think we we got a great country with an open mind. Uh, open-minded uh, uh, culture, and uh, I think we we must keep taking pride into it and uh, evolve as a evolve as a country in that direction. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. Wow, Luke, uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, before we let you go, one hundred percent. 
<laughs> this week we were, this week we we're supposed to have our home opener, and I'm I'm frustrated myself. Just I'm just, again I'm just the guy in the stands. Uh, I want to see football badly. I can only just imagine for you and the rest of the team. Like you want to be out there on the field. You want the roar of the crowd, all that good stuff. I know it's not easy, but I, I mean, as it stands right now, like just with with everything that's going on, I, it's not easy. But how are you personally keeping positive? How are you trying to handle things and just try to stay as uh, open-minded as possible as to the potential of a shortened season and just what can we, what can we do to just stay, stay positive and stay hopeful? Well, football, football will be back no matter what football will be back at some point. And uh, I, I, I hopefully it's going to be in 2020. We're all craving football and uh, we're all craving Canadian football um, I, I truly love the show that we put on the field. Uh, we we're in, we're in a small league. I mean, nine teams, but at the same time, it's so impressive what we can do on the field. It's a, it's a beautiful type of football, and that is different. That everything's been that has been done, uh, whether it's in the United States or across the world. Canadian Football League is unique, and it's a beautiful league. So I'm craving it as a fan as well. Whether I'm coaching or playing, I don't I like all those things. I put them apart. I'm craving Canadian Football League right now. So it's going to come back at some point. So it's the brighter things side of things. It's going to come back. It's better to know that it's not coming back. <laughs> so yeah. I put it in a positive way. It's going to come back. But when, I don't know. And, uh, and it's, it's hard. It's hard on that side of things. It's, uh, I, I, can't wait to be back uh, in 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 the locker room. Talk to the guys. Get back in meetings and put put a game plan together and get on the field and see those guys executing uh, that game plan. I, I'm I'm missing the like the vibe. I'm missing like uh, all the, the 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 craziness or the chaos from from game day. Uh, it's an amazing feeling and it's a it's a blessing to be part of. Which is and it's a blessing to be part of it. So I'm craving all those things, but the positive things side of things that I, that you need to, uh, you know, uh, bond on is that it's going to come back. <laughs> it's going to come back. So uh, I'm 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 just waiting on it. I I can't wait to to be back uh, on the field. And and uh, as I said, it doesn't really matter. And I told it for years and years and years, uh, whether I'm a coach or. Or, or a player, or I've been a player in the past. I will forever remain in Alouettes, and and if my way to remain in Alouettes is being a fan, that's what I'll do, and that's that's I'll be a season ticket holder, and I'll be to the games every game. So, uh, I'm, I'm I love this organization, I love this team. I'm I'm just missing it badly. As as we are all, and we really appreciate your time. Uh, I mean, we went through one extreme to the next tonight from talking about last names to, <laughs> to, 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 to everything else um if people want to follow you on social media luke where would they find you Ooh, social media uh or, or twitter i, I or have twitter. a facebook okay. i have a facebook and i have a twitter so okay. uh i think you know my my twitter is uh at alls uh, i don't remember my twitter i think it's at alls lbj 58 i think that's right so. might be that's right <laughs> All right. Okay. Good. I go on it. I, yeah. Something along those lines. <laughs> hey, 
I do my do my best with it, but I've always been uh, some uh, kind of I, I'm I'm into the the people business. I like to meet people and I like to talk to people on the phone. It's, it's some somehow the, uh, the the connection on on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I like to see stuff. I'm reading. I, uh, I like to keep in touch with uh, with people uh, and any type of people. I just like to read. I, I'm I'm on it, but I I rarely post unless I feel it's really relevant. Right, and it is. It's it's at, it is Al's L B J five eight. There you go. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there you go, folks. Just shoot him a follow. Get in, Engage with him online. Get chatting with him. He, uh, you just heard him. He wants to speak to you all. So uh, make sure you give him a follow. And uh, look, once again, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We're missing football. But just hearing you saying that we're going to get back to it, that's good enough for me. So we'll we get back to it. And uh, we, we cannot wait. <laughs> we cannot wait to see you back on the field coaching, getting the future ready for this organization. Uh, I tell you what, man, I am I'm so excited and I can't thank you enough for joining us this evening for this. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and uh, go all to go as usual. Uh, you know, it is a, a longer form version of what we usually do for our interviews. But as you said, uh, right off the top, I mean, it's we learned you know, so as I said, we started off with one thing, and we totally went to the opposite direction when we finished off the conversation. But um, <laughs> it, it was it was a good conversation. Oh, without question. Uh, like I said, we covered just about everything, and I still feel like there's so much more to discuss. So uh, yeah. we will definitely have Luke back on uh, in the near future. There's no question about that. Uh, it's just an absolutely fascinating individual to chat with. Uh, just a great guy all around. If you've ever had a chance to meet LBJ you know that he's genuine. Like what you see is what you get. Uh, and it just came through in this interview as well. So we were extremely thankful to have him on for as long as we did. And again, we will have him back on the flight deck very, very soon. For sure. And if you want to listen to, uh, uh, to this, uh, inter- inter- interview again, or any other of our, our past episodes in the archive, you can do so by heading over to alouettesflightdeck.ca, or you can head over to Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Um, as we've mentioned before, once we uh, hear any other news, uh, especially on a, on a breaking thing, if we are able to bring some information to you, we will do so. Because obviously, with when we are taping this, it's the beginning of July. Happy Canada Day, by the way, everybody. That's when we're taping this. Um, in my opinion, I think something needs to be, we need to hear something within the next three to four weeks in order for that to be a 2020 season. But that's just my opinion. But uh, I agree. There has to be there has to be a drop dead date at some point, and I'm pretty sure Randy Ambrosi has one in mind. But as per usual, we're not going to find about it out it until well after the fact. So yeah, that's exactly. just that's just the way it is right now. And all we can do, folks, is just stay positive, keep the faith that something's going to happen, and you know just. But we're we're getting we're now into July. That's that's the way we're looking at it. Like if if this season is to get going in September, like they had talked about initially then stuff has to get moving fast. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Exactly. But uh, again, uh, we may be back in the next two weeks. It may be three weeks. We're not sure, but we're trying to keep it on a regular schedule, uh, uh, putting out content for you to listen to during this weird time that we're currently living in. Um, So Mm -hmm. just make sure that you stay safe, wear a mask, make sure you keep everybody else safe by doing so. And for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. Ron, final approach.
Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.